everyone to the Client Breakthrough Summit. I'm Georgette Starr, your host and guide, extending a warm welcome to you and to our growing global community of awakening practitioners, coaches, healers, and transformational leaders like you who know that we were born to be a light in this world um, during this challenging and extraordinary time that we're living in. So I invite you to take a nice deep breath or two and settle in for a transformational conversation with a truly delightful wise man, David. So let me tell you a little bit about David. He has been on his spiritual path for over 45 years. Major unfolding began on a six month retreat in the mid seventies when he shifted into what he calls the witness and celestial perception began. But it wasn't until 2007 that true post-personal stages of awakening unfolded. He published a beautiful book called Our Natural Potential. And in this book, it explores the historical understanding of the seven stages of enlightenment. So welcome, David. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, so happy you're here. So let's just plunge in and, and um, talk about awakening. Everyone that I've spoken to so far has a different definition and understanding. And I would just love for you to give us an overarching perspective of what's possible from this big picture of awakening. Right. So, yeah, what are we awakening from? <laughs> yeah, that's actually one of the, the, the big things uh, early on in my spiritual journey. I had this idea that I was going to become enlightened and this was my goal and, and it was going to be something I would achieve. But as you mentioned in the intro, it's the awakening is actually a post-personal uh, stage of development. When we go beyond the person, we wake up from being David or, or Georgette or, or whoever to being uh, our cosmic universal self, uh, sometimes called the Atman, and various other kinds of words. Uh, universal consciousness, we might, we might call it. Uh, many of us, of course, <clears throat> who have been on a spiritual journey have had tastes of, of that universal consciousness. But actual, what I would call true awakening, is when we shift from being a person experiencing that universal consciousness to being that universal consciousness experiencing a person. So it's kind of a, a flip of, of roles. Yeah. Um, that shift is known as cosmic consciousness or self-realization uh, in various circles. Um, and it has various other kinds of names. But to understand the higher stages better, we have to explore a little bit about the nature of consciousness. Uh, the, the consciousness we're talking about is self-aware consciousness, not inert consciousness, but consciousness that is aware of itself. And in that self-awareness, there's a, there's a, a, a three-way dynamic. There's the observer quality, that which is having the experiences. There's the observed quality, that which is the experiences are taking place on, kind of like the screen of consciousness, the movie screen of consciousness on which things are unfolding. And then there's the process of experience that takes place between them. And that's the most subtle, uh, and, uh, but it's also the most profound because it's where the intelligence is that's creating the experience and that's, that's the seed of the dynamic uh, of the relationship. So there's those th three process, 
the subject, the object, and the process of, of experience. So that first awakening I refer to, the self-realization, is waking up to the observer. So then there's that witness quality, which I, you mentioned early on, which I started witnessing early on in my own journey. But in my case, the witness was awake, but I was still identified with the personal ego, with the me. So there was kind of a duality in there. There was some value of wakeness, but I was also identified. The key there was that, that identification releasing and then and in, in uh, correspondence with the, that universal consciousness waking up to itself here. So it's not the, the David that wakes up, it's the self that wakes up to itself through the vehicle of David. It's, it, it's, it sounds like kind of the same thing, but, but it's actually quite a distinct difference. And that's when, it, when, the, when the role flips. And then you find yourself as cosmic being experiencing through this, this and, form. Yeah. And Oh, you had this shift like quite a long time ago. Uh, 2007. Here. Yeah, 2007. Can you just give us a little example of maybe an experience you had during that time when you were like in that shift? Well, in the shift itself. Well, the shift itself is just like a fraction of a second. There's just this recognition that takes place in consciousness of itself. And then there's a flip. Um, but the spin-off of that takes a while there's the, the, like for the first couple of days i couldn't figure out how to meditate anymore because the person who meditated was gone oh. but then it kind of integrated more and and so the the person i realized oh yes the person is actually still here it's just it's more like my thumb it's it's part of what's here but it's not central anymore before it was the central the the reference point uh and now it was the uh just another part of the of the process part of the mechanism um that, that's one example and just the the sense of liberation where you go from being contained in this little me it's kind of like a little cage which we don't really realize until we get out of it and then it's there's so there's we, we go from being a me that has experiences of of infinity to being infinity and so we're no longer constrained by that 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 me um there's a profound inner peace um, and of course, there's going as you go on into your daily life, there's events comes up and, and so on like that that can disturb that. Um, but it also has the effect of it's like we're meditating 24/7 now, and so uh, anything that's that's in there that we haven't yet dealt with, uh, and there's now this big open space for it to come forward. So for a lot of people, there's quite a bit of unpacking that takes place uh, after the shift as all the unresolved stuff comes to the surface to be seen. And if we understand that process, it's pretty straightforward because now we're, we're not attached to it anymore. It's not part of who we are, part of that self-construct. And so it's, it's much easier to let go of. But it's a process that has to be engaged to some degree and, and allowed for. Uh, otherwise, if we start to resist it and get, get in the way of it, then, then it compromises the, uh, the shift. And so there's a bunch of, of integration like that. Uh, Ajashanti, for example, talks about having a honeymoon after the shift where you're just enjoying the new thing and then everything starts to cut loose and <laughs> you, you go through this. And mind, mind's been so used to being in, in control, sometimes it tries to regain control. And it can maybe a little bit for a time for some people, but usually at some point. Because there's kind of like a, a depth thing. The shift itself is instant, but how deeply we can sustain that. Like some people actually do fall back into the mind for a time, 
Um, but if the shift has actually been there, the, the true shift has happened, at some point they'll work, they'll work through that process and come on the other side with a clear awakening. Uh, and some people have that clear shift and then just have to go through a whole bunch of processing uh, for it to be integrated and uh, embodied, more fully embodied. And that takes time. So it's kind of a, an instant and then a process. <laughs> They're both true in that kind of, in that kind of way. So that's the, the first stage. And the, um, the other part of the, the process is, is there's kind of uh, two aspects under, um, underway. And these are aspects of spiritual development that have been, that we continue from prior lifetimes. So any development we have in consciousness or in our refinement, or what's known as the sattva or the, the purity or clarity, those two uh, values, uh, are cumulative through lifetimes. So each of us picks up where we left off in this life. Now, sometimes that can, that can be right in an early age. People kick into a spiritual process when they're four or six or something. And sometimes people go through a bunch of karmic stuff and, and personal growth uh, before it, it kicks in and, and it shows up in their adult life at some point um, when it's kind of like there's a schedule going on, but we don't tend to know what that schedule is. <laughs> but at some point, it, it kicks in, and then our, the values from we have developed in the past come online. So you have this value of consciousness that helps in the, the, uh, what's sometimes called the masculine side of the process. And then you have these values of, of purity and clarity and the awakening heart, refinement of perception, that are more on the feminine side. And... Uh, one without the other leads to a less uh, balanced and complete uh, uh, process. For example, someone without much refinement but clarity of consciousness uh, can have a clear awakening, but it tends to be very dry and flat. You, you hear some of that in the Neo-Advaita circles, some of those kinds of descriptions. Some of them, someone who has lots of the feminine developed um, has more of the refined perception but without the consciousness as a, as a platform, that stable inner uh, sense of being or existing, um, then we can get tossed around by those experiences. The, the ego is led this way and that way by these big experiences, and there's no, no, there's no uh, foundation for it. So it's that combination of, of the foundation of consciousness and the, the richness that comes from uh, the awakening heart and the refinement of perception. Uh, and that has layers and layers to it. So the second stage in an ideal scenario is the, that the platform of awakening then creates a platform for perception to refine much more deeply because going into really, really fine details needs a stable platform so the mind isn't tossing you know, the, the, uh, us around all the time. And then you can go into much more fine details. And you, know, you mentioned celestial perception earlier on, for example, just where consciousness is first becoming when the world is first becoming those fine vibrations and, and qualities, those can become directly perceived, for example. Um, and uh, what then what, what happens is there can be this process where, because one of the things that happens with awakening is we lose the sense of doership. Before it was me, I was doing this, this was my idea. Mm -hmm. And then after we wake up, we realize that was just the ego claiming after the fact, in often cases, okay. you know, something happens and then we say, oh, I did that. And, and uh, so when that falls away and we start to let go of those kind of, kinds of things, the question that can come up, so what is doing the doing? 
what is running. I mean, our, our breathing, our, our uh, thought process is, lar is largely automatic, and actually most of it is. So what's actually behind that? And then there's this process of unfolding, uh, sometimes called God consciousness or, or celestial consciousness, where we become aware of those fine mechanics of what's actually driving uh, the bus, so to speak. And um, although it varies a lot in the current time, not too many people are having that as much, and they're more skipping that step until later and going into the second stage of in consciousness, which is known as unity consciousness. Typically, um, people talk a lot about oneness. Um, in awakening, there can be certainly be an inner sense of oneness, but the world is usually still separate and, and can sometimes be seen as an illusion, depending on the development of guna. So that's a whole other refinement of quality. So that's a whole other topic. We don't get too much into here. But in, in that shift, this is when the, we recognize the field of our experience, the world out there, so to speak, um, is also arising in consciousness. And it's the, it's the same consciousness that I am. So what happens is the subject and object values are recognized to be the same thing and they come together into one wholeness uh, of self-aware consciousness. And so it, there's a, a oneness of, of the world with ourselves. Uh, so there's a, the initial recognition or shift from being the self observing the world to being the world also. They come together into oneness. Um, but there is a progressive series of recognitions in living that um, where you experience, oh yes, that is myself also, and that chair is too, and that bird flying by that is part of the is expression of the self. It's the same self, this is myself. And and there's layers and layers of that. There's kind of you start to realize there's kind of like our our process of experience has layers to it. Um, we have what we're focusing on, the stuff that's around that, the stuff that's around that, and so on. And also there's memories and um, uh, parts of consciousness that are not in our range of experience, like other stars or planets or whatever like that, and all these kinds of layers that all <clears throat> become part of that one wholeness uh, over a period of time. Uh, there's some traditional texts talk about unity unfolding in 10 stages, um, although I, I haven't found anybody where it was quite that tidy and, <laughs> and orderly. Just, it's, you know, human development, so it's the usual, it's the usual process of, uh, you know, this is being really developed, but that's, that needs some work over here. And, you know, and there's kind of different parts or, or, or uh, in different, uh, uh, different values or levels. And then that if there's been some of that refinement process of God consciousness stage taking place, then that arises now in a new context of unity. So there's a refined unity stage that can develop. Uh, and again, that, that uh, varies quite a bit as to whether that's unfolding or not. And then as that unity process uh, progresses and with the finer, that finer refinement and that, we reach a point where consciousness comes to know itself in its totality, globally, and at every point within itself. So it comes to know itself completely. And then there's this really interesting dynamic that can take place. And there's a few different ways people uh, may experience this process themselves. But essentially, consciousness has been looking in on itself the whole time. I talked about that subject-object dynamic. We've been inside of consciousness, this universal consciousness, this whole time. At a certain point, consciousness kind of goes like, oh, and looks outside itself. And then there's a, there's a shift. Um, 
uh, often known as Brahman consciousness or, or beyond consciousness, where we step out of that dynamics of self-aware consciousness and go into a, a, another stage beyond consciousness. Now, this is a stage that's very hard to describe and often hasn't been particularly in the texts. It's kind of the full flowering of, of, uh, of Advaita, Vedanta, non-duality. Um, but it's very difficult to describe because you're talking about something without any qualities, beyond creation, beyond consciousness, and it can only be known by itself. Because there isn't consciousness, the dynamics of consciousness are not going on there, it's beyond that, and so it can only be known uh, by itself. And, and so it's a matter of, you know, sometimes what happens is the first stage of that is uh, more recognition of loss. Because <laughs> all that oneness and unity and, and wholeness is gone. You've gone beyond that into something greater. But as it settles in, that stage actually turns out to be more inclusive. And it's inclusive of not just Brahman, beyond consciousness, but it's inclusive of consciousness itself. And it's also inclusive of all the prior stages. And so you can have all these paradoxes get resolved because it's a pure, non-dual uh, kind of stage. And but it's interesting because the paradoxes are there, things become simultaneously true, where it's true that um, there's, a, there's a world here, there's a creation, a play of the divine, uh, however you want to look at it, an illusion. Um, different, those are different perspectives of it. Um, but there is also no creation, and that never and it never happened in the first place. They're simultaneously true, and that's all is this total inclusiveness of, of Brahman. And then there's a refined value of that, which is even harder to describe, because how can you talk about refined nothing? <laughs> but, but there is that quality there. And then um, the final stage is, is kind of what the two processes of the masculine and the feminine come together into one uh, totality uh, known as parabrahman, which means beyond Brahman. So it's beyond even that. Um, and it, it's known as pure divinity. It's kind of like uh, in those deep values of consciousness when we're in a deep meditation. And we can experience pure consciousness without any thought or disturbance. We just we just are. There's just that sense of isness. Um, it's like that only on the level of divinity, pure divinity without qualities or expression, just divinity. And we recognize that that's the source of the source. Where before we experience consciousness as the source of all expression and everything, we realize that pure divinity is the source of that source. It's it's the source of the intelligence behind that that the process of experience and all expression that we with the, the unfolds. So those are kind of the that's a big overview of the seven stages. <laughs> oh wow! I'm if you want to know more, that's the my book, our, our natural potential. That's what it's about. Yes. Um, because there, there is a very common, in, in many spiritual circles, there's a very common idea that there's a single awakening that's going to happen to a me, and uh, it's like an instant thing, and then you're done, and now I'm perfect, and there's no mistakes, and blah, blah, blah. A lot of ideas that are really, um, like we stop being humans somehow, or, or something. A lot, of, a lot of core ideas, and a lot of uh, ideas that uh, miss potential. For example, this idea there's only one awakening, People then assume that talk of non-duality refers to that one awakening. 
Mm-hmm. And you know, that first awakening is, in, is inherently dvaita or duality because there's, a, there's the self observing the world, but it's separate from the world. So there's, a separate, there's inherently a, a two-ness. But people say, oh, but the world's an illusion. So they kind of write that off. Uh, but that's a conceptual uh, idea that isn't really helpful. Because if you recognize that there's more to the process, not that there's a seeker there that's, that's, that's seeking it, but that there's a, um, a process that can continue if you, if you support it, um, there's much more that can flower. And, and the, the influence that uh, the awakening can have on the collective gets greater and greater through each stage. Mm-hmm. And of course, so through purification and ability to embody those shifts and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, it's a fascinating thing. Uh, my original teacher didn't even bring this, the, the last few stages out in, in his time. Um, people just weren't ready for it. He, he did gradually bring out the stages over the years. Um, and then he stopped talking about it for the most part because um, people were just too invested in the concepts about the stages rather than the actual lived thing. But now there's a lot of people. Um, that certainly wasn't unique in, in, in my shift back then. Um, I mean, I, I had this concept of, oh, we were all going to wake up and, and had basically thrown that out and given up on it uh, at a certain point and went on with my life. And, um, and then it kind of cycled around again, and, and then it started happening. And not just here, but to many people that I knew who had been on a path for a while. And, uh, you know, you mentioned I'd been on a path for over 45 years. The nice thing, too, is it's not taking 45 years anymore. So some of us kind of we helped uh, prepare the ground, so to speak, for, for those that have come afterwards, too. And some of the lights that are coming into the world now that, that are, are just so far ahead of where I was when I, when I came in. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful uh, uh, process to see unfolding in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something to touch on too, uh, something that's really important to understand about what's happening now in the world, is that uh, consciousness is rising and it's uh, essentially it's universal, so it's lifting all boats. And um, but if for people who have not been on a spiritual path, have not been dealing with their stuff, uh, or who have been you know been fighting it and resisting it, because that's what our culture tends to teach us to do, um, it kind of it can create it can be rough. It can, it causes trouble because then it's kind of getting more and more in your face and more and more coming to the surface. So one of the things that's happening in the collective right now is a lot of old baggage is coming to the surface. And we see leaders, for example, that are coming to the, to the, to the fore who are acting that out to, to become uh, exemplars, to, to act out the, the collective garbage, basically. And there's this whole issue taking place. And, and it's fascinating to see in the cycles of countries all over the world uh, going through these crazy challenges and, and uh, major uh, changes. And because of all the change taking place from this evolution, uh, it's also creating a conservatism and, and, uh, and a fundamentalism uh, and, and extremes on the left side as well, and uh, you know, more anarchic key and so on. Um, because people are, are reacting to that those changes as if the world's kind of falling apart. But really what's happening is the world is growing. The light is descending. It's getting closer and closer to being here, and it's hard to say when, but at a certain point, it's going to become really obvious for most people. But it's not there yet. 
and um, so, but in this process, a lot of purification is taking place. And uh, we have, last year was pretty intense, and this year is apparently going to be intense again in somewhat different ways. But <laughs> so it's going to be we're in an interesting transitional period. Uh, one of my teachers used to use the example of boiling water. If you watch water um, as it comes to a boil, at first it's kind of starts to just get, get a little bit thing, uh, stirred and a little bit stirred. And then it comes to what's called roiling, where it gets really agitated. Right. And it, when it actually hits a boil, it actually smooths out a little bit and then starts converting into steam. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that. We're in that transition period, the phase transition. Okay. Um, so things are roiling a little bit. Yes, but I, I, I really appreciate, and actually this whole summit is dedicated to this bigger possibility that no matter what is happening and how intense the boiling water is, like it's all happening in service of this bigger picture awakening, this consciousness awakening through the different stages that you've described to us. Right, and so if we support that process, then it, it's smoother and it helps everybody because we're not, we're not sort of really separate individuals here. And our garbage is in the collective, just like everybody else's garbage is. Um, and and it, it, that does affect why, for example, there's less of that God consciousness phase coming um, out in the current time because the group consciousness doesn't support that real well. Uh, but as we evolve the process, that's going to become more and more supportive and you know, it'd be easier for people um, to embody uh, sooner. And so the key is engaging it in an effective way, not getting into a reactive, uh, oh, the world's coming to an end, I'm against this and I'm against that and we've got to stop this. I mean, certainly some, uh, some directed uh, activity is, is useful, but you want to be, have the attention of being for something. What is it you want to see happening? What is it you're, you're moving towards as opposed to what you're fighting and pushing back against? that difference can, can make a, a lot of difference in results. Yeah, I love that. What we focus on tends to increase. Yes, exactly. So, you it's know- It's good to be aware of what's going on in the world and, and, and the dynamics are unfolding, but not be stepping into the drama of it, the, 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 the stirring parts. Or if you find yourself getting caught in the stirring parts, find ways to, to, to vent that and <laughs> express that in healthy ways. Uh, not not uh, stirring the pot, and making it. Right. right, and channel that creative energy into the innovation of what's possible. What can we contribute that yes. brings more light in? Yes. You know, our audience for the summit is our practitioners who are working with individuals and groups. And I'm wondering if you might, why, how you feel it might be beneficial for practitioners to to recognize that their clients are in an awakening process or maybe in an awakening process that, yeah, what's the benefit of that bigger picture context? Well, it's like we were just talking about on the collective level, but on the individual level, I'm getting those kind of, you know, emails uh, from people. I get emails from people talking about this amazing openings and, and profound shifts they have. And, you know, they're thanking me for giving them some language to, to be able to, to, uh, digest it and, and, and uh, speak about it. Um, and then I'm also getting people that are, that are on the other side where they're hitting these, these internal dynamics that really, really want to be seen. Because so much of this stuff, uh, what we might call stress or uh, anxiety or other inner turmoil and that kind of thing, is, is essentially 
old experiences we've had that didn't complete. Mm -hmm. Some value of the experience, we, we couldn't deal with it at the time, the trauma was a little too much, or we didn't have time to deal with it in our life. And there's some piece of emotional or energetic residue from an incomplete experience. And so that's basically coming to the surface to try to be completed. And that's all it needs to rise to the surface, be seen, and, and, and then it resolves, and then it's done. And that piece of the baggage is complete. So if we can uh, offer ways to support people through that process of allowing their experience, allowing what wants to be seen to come to the surface, and being okay with that, not to make it bad or wrong, or, you know, it's, we have a real thing in our culture that, oh, you shouldn't be angry, you know, and, and uh, of course, you, you want to express anger in healthy ways, but, um, but just to be, and not, and not be, you know, and there's a subtle, subtle distinction in there too, because I've seen examples of where people use healing tools to make people more conscious of their, of their emotional baggage, but they do it in a way that makes it more real for the me. Like it strengthens the me that I am the victim and I have this trauma and this is my trauma and now I know about my trauma. And it, it kind of amplifies the me. Mm. And, and it, it, make, and amplify, it can amplify the trauma. And we kind of invest in it and reinforces it. And there's a difference between that and recognizing it's there and processing it and releasing it. So it's not about me. It's just about some historic history. It's like it's like we've got some garbage to take out to the garbage can in the back, and you know, do we want to open up the bag and go through it all and make sure it's all really garbage or, or whatever, or do we want to just take it out there and put it in the can, and let it go? Yeah, I mean, it seems like each one of us kind of came with that little bag, right? Of yeah. Processed energy and some of it is ancestral, some of it is collective, some of it is childhood experience that was unprocessed. But we all have that, and it also seems like that's part of our gift to the collective is to be willing to be present for that purification process. Yes. While at the same time, like bringing our attention to what you know that what you described is that that potential for awakening to the deeper truth and yeah. the layers and layers of that unfolding. Exactly. Yes, and that's such an important thing. Like I, I, I promote the the use of uh, effortless mantra meditation, and effortless is the key in there, uh, as it it's a, a a key way to step beyond the mind and, and intellect and our emotional dramas and so on like that, and into that pure consciousness, into that samadhi or tariya or, or uh, various names they have in different traditions for that inner peace and 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 being. Um, and it's a reliable way of doing that because then that culture is the, the consciousness side and also that, that experience of samadhi um, in, in pure consciousness is very deeply restful. The physiology gets settles into a very deep state of rest, deeper than deep sleep even, and that allows the body to, to purify and, and, and some of that emotional trauma to be released and processed. And it's very, very effective. However, I've also found that we can have some really big nuts and some, or, or uh, contractions, however we want to call them, um, that we, we have habits of reinforcing. There's ways we deal with our, our stuff that we're, where even though we might loosen up a little bit in our meditation, we come out again and we kind of reinforce it again mm -hmm. and stuff it back down or, or you know, whatever, manipulate it in our, in our whatever way. 
Um, and that and that's where energy healing is really valuable because uh, then you can help people facilitate those bigger ones. Uh, and and with the, the practice of meditation, people gain the experience of just being in presence. They can culture that inner presence. Um, and then they're able to, uh, in time, they're able to, to just be with it without being in it. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things uh, is people, when they first uh, start looking at this stuff, they're so used to being in their experience, they're right in the middle of it. Um, it's like they're on, they're on, a, on they're, act, they're an actor on a stage, and everything that happens is all about me and what's going on with me. But when you can step back into that inner peace and, and being a little bit, then you start to be able to to do that on call when it, when you need it. And so you can step back into that observer, into that uh, witness or or presence within, and and then that. It's much easier to let go of those, those um, old emotional, energetic uh, kind of dynamics that are inside us. Yeah, you mentioned just very quickly there that one of the ways that you've, one of your practices, or you described it as a, like an effortless mantra meditation. Maybe you could explain a little bit more what you mean by that, and also energy healing. <laughs> okay, yes. So, um, uh, there's a number of types of meditation, and they, they, science has now uh, classified them into three types. Uh, there, there's uh, types where, where you're focusing on an object of attention, uh, an image or a, a, a word inside or, or whatever, or you're focusing on an object. Um, uh, practices where you... Uh, you're uh, in a contemplative state. Uh, you're, you're going with the flow of the mind and allowing it to go where it goes. And then practices where any, each of these has their advantages and has, has certain kinds of effects. And then the other, the other uh, kind of practices are what are called self-transcending. Uh, they go beyond the practice itself. You don't stay in the practice. The, the practice itself is not the goal of the practice, so to speak. Um, and this is that classification. There's there are several kinds of practices that culture that, but some take uh, uh, decades to to make progress in. But but the effortless ones uh, they're available. And there's a few kinds around, like transcendental meditation and or TM as it's called uh, Vedic meditation. There's a few different types around that are it, it comes out of a long uh, lineage. Uh, uh, they're they're available in various ways in the West though. Um, and um, but the key is is that it's um, in this kind of kind of practice. The mantra is not the mantra is essentially a, a sound, uh, a word with uh, certain qualities. There's a whole science of mantra in, in India, and it's used uh, for a number of different things. It can be used for healing and, and uh, various. Uh, uh, anyways, various, but the, in this case, it's it's used as a meditative practice. So you want a mantra, for most of us, that's a householder's mantra, like the classic Om, would be a, a great example of a renunciate mantra. It tends to cause possessions and um, relationships to fall away. So it's, it's, not, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fundamental mantra, but it's not really suitable for a householder who's in the world. Well, good, good to know. <laughs> yes. And um, so you want a, a suitable householder's mantra and then you want that that effortless technique uh especially in the west here we're so used to effort and try try again and that kind of thing but we can't really apply the laws of action to 
the, the meditation practice because they have different aims. And so you, so you need to, uh, it needs to be a, uh, an effortless practice or you want it to be an effortless practice. And uh, you want a mantra that's suitable for your life. And, um, and then um, the, the, right te- the right technique so that you're, you're, you're uh, um, and then there's a very ancient process that, that's usually used with these kinds of things that, where they use a, what's called a guru puja and it's taught in a specific way. And that allows the, the, the seed to be planted most deeply and, and to get the maximum benefits out of it. And, and it's normal to, to um, like samadhi is kind of like yoga, the Yoga Sutra, for example, talks about samadhi quite a bit because it's the, it's the goal of yoga because that's where samadhi is where you achieve yoga union with, with the self within. And uh, it's, that's, the Yoga Sutra is open with that. I won't try and quote that from memory, but <laughs> I, I write about it in my blog quite a lot. Um, and um, that samadhi uh, is, a, is a quite a regular thing then, and, and uh, in that kind of practice. That's sometimes clear and sometimes not so much. Um, and, but, but it does culture that uh, just with regular practice. And so it brings that presence along. And then practices like mindfulness, for example, that, that in order to be effective, mindfulness needs presence. Because otherwise, you're just using the mind to be aware of itself, which isn't anywhere near as effective. Whereas you have presence being aware of the mind, then it works better. And an effortless meditation can help culture, um, yeah, can help culture that inner presence. Um, now, energy healing is an interesting one. There, there's gazillions of different styles of it, and and many energy healers are very intuitive and and work from sense. Uh, their uh, feet work from feel, we can say. And um, the, the better ones I know, though, are very connected to their presence, to, to source, because then they're able to, to work from those deepest levels and, um, and deal with, um, like a lot of the energetic um, stuff, our energetic contractions are in the, in the surface levels and, and what Eckhart Tolle called the pain body and, and that, and, and those more surface levels. But there can be causal things as well, where where there's there isn't contractions the same way, but it, they're like um, geometric structures that hold a pattern in place. Mm-hmm. So even though we heal heal the the trauma about it, the pattern can still be there, causing it to re, to resurface and, and keep coming back again. And so, being able to go that into those uh, deeper layers uh, allows us to do deeper healing. And of course, it depends on what's needed by the client at a given time. Some people just need some relief from all the anxiety or, or fear that's coming up in their lives. And, uh, and uh, um, some soothing. Um, but yeah, as we get deeper into it, I talk about it a little in my, my blog. I, I talk about the process I learned myself just from watching the process and how, how it worked internally when I went very deep and, and then I watched the process come up. And then I learned to, to tackle it myself that way when I saw something. Um, because the refined perception developed, I was able to watch um, this stuff, the process, and so I was able to duplicate it my own, myself in my own practice. And then I've talked about a couple of healers that uh, describe the practice they use. It's a little bit more formalized, but it's the same basic process. And you're going deep, you know, go back into source as deep as we can to that, and then from acting from there. And, um, and then we can address some of these things. That's a tricky thing, though, because p- part of the dynamic, though, is the shadow. And there's what I call nested spaces. 
um, when you when you when consciousness becomes self-aware like that, and like I talked about early on, it inherently creates a very subtle space that then manifests as actual space on a more manifest level, and and then forward into what we would see as the world. However, within that, in the subtle levels, um, consciousness becomes aware of itself in, in a nested kind of a way, and that creates nested spaces. So there's kind of worlds within worlds, so to speak. Um, now, there's some ideas around that that I'm not talking about multiverses and that kind of thing. That's a little that's a little different thing. Um, but the, the point, though, is that that um, one of the things we were able to do is create subtle spaces in our physiology and hide stuff away in them from ourselves. Kind of create a shadow or or a lack of light so we can't see them, and that and yet those contractions still influence us because the energy is still there. Energy is still functioning in our in our environment. It's not the right way word, but yeah, it's kind of our environment. Um, and and so that the influences are still there, but we we can't see it. It's a blind spot for us. And so there's a whole process. It can it depends on how much baggage you have, of course. But most of us have lots and lots. And so I mean, I'm still clearing stuff, <laughs> but but. It, that yeah. we're all still clearing. Yeah, it's just an ongoing process. And and the stuff is getting bigger in some ways, but more subtle. Um, and because I'm working more and more on collective levels. And so it's there's a thread or a connection to to this uh, body-mind and how I am with it. But it's something that I'm feeding and, and I've been fed by in some way, and it's in shadow. And then that shadow starts to clear, and then I say, oh, here's the dynamic here. And, then I'm following it back to its source and, and uh, yeah. trying to resolve it. Is this a process that you help some of the people that you guide um, in, with their blind spots? Um, I'm not a, a, a healer or a teacher in, in that kind of, as, as a role. Uh, my, the, way, the way I view the calling, the way it seems to be, as I'm, I'm what they call it, the messenger. Ah. Uh, my, my, <laughs> on what I've learned from from this this process, and so I'm primarily a writer, and um, I answer a lot of people's questions, and and we have these discussions on my blog and so on like that about various points, and it, it's really variable. I have people coming in and trying to figure out they want the right answer and they want to satisfy their mind about some mm -hmm. abstraction, a spiritual abstraction, and yet and I got other people who are who are well along, and, and we sometimes debate about what process is because. What they experienced is one thing, and, and I'm talking about something else. And um, but one of the things that I talk about on the blog a lot, uh, and, and my book, is, is the variation. Because one of the things you know, a lot of spiritual traditions have is they teach what their te their teacher would uh, learn, and what or what they experienced, and they experienced you know uh, this this process in a certain kind of way with certain things, and it's perfectly valid to teach what you know. That's completely valid. Um, However, I've been lucky enough to be around a lot of people waking up and going through higher stages. And because I've been blogging now for as long as I've been awake, uh, it's actually my blog actually started just before I woke up. <laughs> the calling kind of came forward and uh, really surprised me. <laughs> I didn't think of myself as a writer at all. But anyways, the writing started and, um, and that's also drawn a lot of people to correspond with me and, and so on. And, um, and I speak at the Science of Non-Duality Conference uh, periodically and, and so on. And so uh, I've been exposed to a lot of people 
going through the process from different perspectives. And um, I have had a lot of concepts that had to get thrown out because I thought, oh, well, this happens then, and then this happens then. Yeah. You know, like I thought that had to be a GC, but now most people are actually skipping that. And, <laughs> and they, 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 I got consciousness phase. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, uh, the, the ego, uh, so we sometimes talk about the ego as being this thing you lose and you're awake, but it's actually a, a three-layer thing. Um, and what you lose when you first wake up is the first layer. But there's also the energetic drivers behind that, which um, is a, a heart thing. And then there's a, what's called the core existential identity in the gut. Um, and typically those resolve with, with God consciousness and unity, but there's lots of variations in that. Uh, because if there's a lot of God consciousness, then some people still have a big crust on the heart. And, um, and the heart, by the way, here, I'm, I'm not just talking about the Anahata Chakra, um, but there's also higher octave versions of that, the heart mahamarma, the, what's called hridaya, um, the high heart, and there's various kinds of, it's, it's layers <laughs> that can develop over time too. Uh, there's lots of, the basics are simple, but <laughs> the, the process can get really uh, complex. And some people just don't notice anything about certain things, like, like kundalini, for example. Some people notice almost nothing. They just kind of go through the process and then they wake up. And other people, it's like this whole process, and um, and and, and uh, yeah, and how what what people experience and when they experience it, and and the the emphasis they have. Um, I have a very strong strong intellect, which used I used to consider a problem. <laughs> essentially, it was going to get in the way of my enlightenment. You know, how do I get rid of this? But it actually, over time, I realized it was innate, and. I realized that because even in the midst of profound experiences, the intellect was in there saying, oh, what's this? And then I was being shown and, and you know, it got, like it was unfold. And so it's, it's part of the process here. And it's what allowed me to, to understand some of this stuff and be able to explain it uh, in, in uh, the detail that I can is because it's been, because that's there. And it's part of this mechanism. But it's not there for everybody. I, I have very good friends that are in very advanced stages who don't talk about it at all, don't write about it. They don't have words. It's just like, something's happening. <laughs> oh, oh, what's happening? It's changing. <laughs> what's changing? Well, everything. <laughs> oh. It's just not, that's not where they're, but, but they have a profound gift uh, of their presence and, and their ability to support others through their own processes. Oh, it's I, not about putting it into words and, and yeah. communicating it some way. Yeah, I love the way you're just really like opening the possibility that every person is their own unique path. And not um, everybody's supposed to be a teacher. Teaching is a skill set. It doesn't it just waking us up doesn't make us a teacher either. Right. Some people go through a process, oh I'm supposed to be a teacher, and they try to teach and, and flat you know, kind of thrash around a little bit and then they kind of realize maybe not, maybe that's not what the skill is here. And usually I mentioned about that unpacking and so you know, you can start teaching and then, uh, you know, then you get the issues of your unpacking on your students and, um, and that kind of thing. So it's, it's, in traditions, it's usually a good idea to, to mature into it. Some say it takes about 12 years to fully mature into that first shift. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, further shifts can start well before that as well. But, um, so then there you're maturing into those as well. <laughs> well, you know, um, 
I just so appreciate it. I totally see you as a messenger. I experience you as like you're illuminating possibilities that I am certain that many of the people who are watching or listening to this will never have really been exposed to before in a really succinct and quick way. It's like a little spark of possibility, you know, like un, like as soon as there's a pos the possibility arises, then it becomes more of a reality. And right. I so appreciate that. And I just wanted to say, I see your joy. Like there's a way that when I, when someone is shining with, with joy, like to me, that's, a, that's an indication of the embodiment of these this unfolding possibility and yeah. um yeah i'd love to hear just a little bit about because i know you've had so many different experiences and all these the complexity of your own unique unfolding but like maybe a, a highlight or so of you know just some of your own experiences of moving through different phases of your awakening process i'm just trying to think of what might be relevant um well, one of the fascinating things that happened for me um, when I was finishing the book was that I was touching on Parabrahman, but it, it hadn't unfolded yet. So it was really hard to write about something that I hadn't experienced yet. And then, then the shift happened, and, and then I was shown that it, it, was, it had stages as well. It's kind of like this pattern almost. They're not the same, but, but there are certain things there's the awakening God consciousness unity process, and then there's the Brahman, refined Brahman, para-Brahman process. And they have certain, the pattern, there's a certain similarities in the pattern of, of the process in there. And just like unity has stages, uh, para-Brahman has stages as well. And those haven't unfolded here, but I was shown how the stages work and, and how the, that there were stages. So it's kind of like this, there's a, there's this sense of, of being guided. I, I kind of, the way I sometimes feel like I'm, a, I'm an apprentice. And one of the things that started happening, like for me a long time ago, there was this stuff unfolding um, after I started witnessing and this lifestyle perception came online. I was experiencing all this stuff that, according to my teaching, wasn't supposed to happen until I was, you know, in God consciousness or, or some further stage. And yet, not only were those experiences happening, they were continuing to unfold. And so it was a real quandary for me if i talked about them it caused backlash and and trouble so it's like so so why am i having these at the time uh so why am i having these these experiences what, what's the point here and i realized later on that there's a process unfolding here where i'm kind of being guided and in a training program and there's so much to learn that that they started me early <laughs> and, uh, it's kind of building up on this on this process and, and sometimes i've been showed the things ahead of where i am um, yeah. and then catching up to it later uh, so that's kind of a, a one of the interesting things I, I found about my process and i've seen it with a few other people too where where they're they're um and that's one another reason for the book is because i've met a lot of people who are in some kind of teaching and it says, oh, it's supposed to happen like this, and that's not the way it's happening for them. Or inversely, they're not in the teaching and they don't have that guidance. But some of it, it it's, it's quite key, even like the Rick Dade, it, it's a, a, basically the oldest known uh, text. And um, it goes back thousands of years ago that the astronomical things that are mentioned in there suggest it's somewhere around 8,000 years old. Um, but it's hard to say. But in there, one of the most famous sages in history 
talked about the importance of desiring unity, <clears throat> not as a seeker, but just as an intention that you want the process to continue. And what I would add to that <clears throat> is that if we don't, or to desire unity, we have to know it's there. Mm. Not just as a concept, but as a stage of development. In other words, you know, you can, you can be self-realized and, and favor the, the inner unity and think that that's what non-duality is. And, and, uh, and, those, and that concept can get in the way of further unfolding. Oh my goodness. That's where the tricky part is. So if you know it's there and you know there's more, then you're, you're dropping the barriers. Now, of course, there's, there's, all, there, there's the hazard that's there. Like some, some people in the Papaji lineage, for example, they don't talk about stages. They, they recognize them, but they don't talk about them because it creates concepts about them. And that is the hazard of talking about them like this. However, if we don't talk about them, the mind will create concepts anyways. Right. So, so it's like better to have better concepts and you still have to throw the concepts out. I mean, I had all these ideas about what awakening would be and when it actually happened, I had to throw it all out. And, and then I kind of thought it, sat with it a little bit and then realized, oh, actually what my teacher said was right. It's just the way I interpreted it was. Right, yeah. Like we need training wills until we don't. And then, yeah, and, and each, each uh, another thing I should mention too, I mean, I talked about how the first awakening is a, is a flip like that. Unity is a bigger change mm -hmm. and Brahman is an even bigger change. Mm -hmm. Brahman is, is referred to as the great awakening in the old chain because you, you basically awaken from everything. <laughs> wow. You awaken from enlightenment. So, <laughs> so, so you'll refer to it as it, it's, it's quite something. So each of these are bigger stages. So each time it's like going back into kindergarten again and relearning what's real now and, and uh, and, but it gets it gets very easy though because I mentioned that the unity is in stages, and so one of the things I found about the unity process was it was like, okay, what's real today? Because it kept on it kept on evolving, not in an overt uh, flip kind of way, but in a, what was included in it. The Brahma Sutra talks about what they call the aggregate, uh, and essentially there's this process in unity where uh, I talked about earlier, where uh, as you experience something and recognize, oh, that is the self also. You know, I am the chair, I am the printer, I am the wall and, and the building and the, and the city and everybody in it. And, and that's kind of that, this progressive growth. Um, it, these are not conceptual recognitions. It's recognitions in the self itself. And so essentially, who you are keeps growing and keeps becoming more and more inclusive and keeps, um, uh, yeah, and so that can change how you relate to the world to, to some value and, and it, it kind of changes your reality a little bit, bit and bit and bit and bit. And so you get very flexible about what's real. <laughs> <laughs> of course, what's in there is, is very, very uh, stable and, and that. And so, it, you know, you don't have, it's not a, it's not like a freaking out because everything really keeps changing. Right. Um, no, I get it. You, you develop more trust in the, in the mystery of the unfolding and right. not as scary right. as it was. Yeah, that's actually a good example for me too. Um, because of the way that the process unfolded here, I was a little bit dubious about some of this subtle experience when it first started unfolding. It took me a while to, to trust what was happening and, and what I was experiencing. And um, when I first woke up, um, there was a layer of trust that wasn't there around the field of active action in the world. And, and so the, the, the lesson here, the way it was structured for me to learn that was to take away 
any any I had this kind of a a meme I realized um, kind of the oh well being the the this role uh, identity as a supporter as a as the a provider it was really a strong meme of being a provider um, I, I recognized this in a relationship where I tried to be the white knight it was a disaster of course as those things usually are uh, and that became a lot more conscious then. Um, but essentially, life set me up into a circumstances where I couldn't be the provider. Mm. It took those abilities away. And I couldn't provide for myself, but the means always just showed up. Mm. Whatever I needed, it just arrived. You know, Like a large check arrived in the mail from, a, from an investment bank with no explanation. And oh. just like, just like, but uh, it just, but it, it, it needed to be taught about to trust the process that I didn't need to rely on on the me on, my, on myself to make this happen, and so that part of the process here was learning to, was to break all that because <laughs> it was so invested that, that it had to be broken down, and I didn't of course realize that that's what was going on, and so uh, it was a blind spot, a big blind spot, and so uh, I fought it and, and struggled with it for quite a while, and then I finally let go, and then everything was fine. And I can feel that in you, like the freedom. I yeah. can't believe this. We've already come to the end of our hour, our time together. Um, and I'd love to just give you a moment to just tune into the people who are going to be receiving this transmission from you as the messenger of this big picture of what's possible. And if you could offer some guidance or encouragement, which you already have done, but you know, kind of a final word of like, um, strengthening for the practitioners and also perhaps for them to take back to the people that they're working with or serving like what would you have to share well i think it's that point i raised earlier that that understanding what's taking place in the world right now things aren't getting worse and well in some senses but i mean there are all these global all these global statistics that say they're actually getting better you know childhood poverty and and uh worldwide poverty and so on like that all those stats are getting better and better for the most part and um, and but it can seem on the surface right now that the world is really uh, having troubles and, and you know that that you know climate crisis political crisis there's so many different things that could uh, uh, could be an end but it's that that's just that roiling that we're going through where the, that phase transition and if we understand it in that context um, do what we can of course to to move things along and make it smoother but we don't do that by getting into a drama we do that by getting smoother where it counts inside because that that's what we share and, and we spread that out and uh helping our clients and, and so on in the same way for them to find uh a way to peace and uh and to to uh settledness about the current situation and allow the unfolding that's taking place it really is going to be incredible um I can remember back to, to prior golden ages. And so it's, uh, I, I have a sense of what's coming, uh, not how exactly it's going to unfold, but, but what's coming and, and it's nothing like anybody yet recognizes. So it's, uh, it's worth it. <laughs> feel that as a, a bright light of, of um, once again, you're just an illumination of possibility for us. And I thank you so, so much. Thank you, David. Oh, you're welcome. Yes. And Namaste. Yeah, namaste, and I want to thank everyone for our collective dedication to this awakening, whatever that means for each one of us at this moment, and also to the art and skill of supporting, guiding, empowering others in their own process. Um, 
eventually to take the inspired actions that will contribute to that potential of a more sustainable world, each in our own unique way. And um, yeah, so thank you so much, everyone. And goodbye for now.